This is The Cable. Big bid on 10-year treasuries over the last week. Tech story is front and centre. A lot of people are saying, no, thank you, step back. You're saying, get in, why? Your connection from the London market close to the US market action. A significant sell-off in European assets. The dollar a little bit stronger today. This is a stock that is increasingly being shorted. The Cable. An historic moment from which there can be no turning back. With Jonathan Farrow and Guy Johnson on Bloomberg Radio. Good afternoon, good afternoon to the beautiful city of London. You are listening to The Cable live across the capital on DAB Digital Radio. This is Bloomberg Radio. Alongside Guy Johnson, I'm Jonathan Ferro. As Boris Johnson, the Prime Minister, steps out and shakes the hand of Chancellor Angela Merkel. A very interesting press conference will be coming up, Guy, very shortly. Interesting. We'll see what happens. The French apparently are now saying that a no-deal Brexit is the central scenario. But what I hear from the other side of the English Channel is that everybody still believes that Parliament is going to stop such a scenario happening. Do you know what the big takeaway from me this afternoon, John? It's August, like nobody's here, but nevertheless, there are some takeaways. We got that headline, the French saying that a no-deal Brexit is the central scenario. The pound barely moved. I think we're kind of almost there in terms of pricing a no-deal Brexit. We're probably not all the way there, but we've got to be getting close. I just wonder if we're at that, at that point where we just believe nothing happens until October 31st. I don't know if we're at the point where we actually get a Brexit and this is what the price of cable would be. I still wonder how credible the threat to leave without a deal actually is for the British Prime Minister. I think it's incrementally more credible than it was under Prime Minister May, and I think that's where we're at. But I still think there's a lot of people that just don't think they get it through. And for the reason you just explained, Guy, that Parliament stops it from happening. I don't know. I I genuinely don't know, John. Um, But if we left without a deal, let's say October 31st, we get to that point, that cataclysmic moment where we leave without a deal... I think most FX strategists, and that's not what I think, just from what people have said, they're looking for 110. They're looking for 110. This 120 mark is this mark where basically Boris Johnson pushes it, pushes it, pushes it, pushes it, and then we see what happens October 31st. I'm hearing kind of, you could get as low as 110, you could get to 115. It doesn't feel a million miles away, No, I'm with you. Yeah, I have some sympathy with that. I'm Um, just looking at very interesting pictures of Chancellor Merkel sitting down with Prime Minister Boris Johnson. I think they might be watching some kind of parade. Yeah, they are. So it's the first time he has visited Germany as Prime Minister. So the first time you go, you get the kind of the full military scenario. Interesting you talk about her sitting down there. There's been a lot of speculation of late about Angela Merkel's health. She had a couple of shaking incidents, in fact, more than a couple of shaking incidents. Yeah. It's interesting that uh, that that sitting down is is what she is doing. But yeah, I got to think. So he's having dinner tonight with with Angela Merkel. Then he goes to see Emmanuel Macron tomorrow in Paris, and they have kind of a working lunch ahead of the G7. Um, the French the the French official earlier on said we think an ideal Brexit is now the central case scenario. But if the Brits think they're leaving without paying the bill, they've got another thing coming. Thirty nine billion is still due. Um, and I think a lot of people here believe that we're just going to leave and that's kind of it. I, this is just phase one. Then you've got to renegotiate a trade deal with the EU and you've got to bear in mind that that's probably the more important aspect of all of this. Um, we're getting bogged down in the trenches talking about what is happening with, with the Irish backstop. But actually the much bigger, much more difficult um, negotiation is still to come and that's what happens with the longer term trade deal and all this kind of talk about kind of withholding money and all this sort of stuff hey, this is just the beginning yeah I mean hey. trying to explain that to people that follow this I often find myself doing that in America that by the way 
this is just the withdrawal stuff. We've still not established what the future relationship looks like. As for the French statement today, I think we mentioned this on this program yesterday. Chancellor Merkel is going to be the easier meeting. It's the meeting with Emmanuel Macron that's going to be the really difficult one. I think the Germans are quite ready to put their support behind Boris Johnson and try and get a better deal. Uh, I think they were with Prime Minister May. I think it's the opposition coming from elsewhere, more specifically from the French and from the Irish. Yeah, I think I think there is still an unwillingness to put the Irish in a difficult position. We'll we'll see kind of what ultimately happens with that. But yeah, I know I think the French are the French have got to the point and I think Macron's been there for quite some time where he believes that um it, we just need to get this over and done with. I sod the Brits. Let's go. I we need to move on with this and if they don't want to deal, they don't want to deal. Um, and as a result of which, we're, we're kind of on board with that. They're going to be the ones that suffer more than we will. Um, that seems to have been the Fr- I think that's been the French position for really quite some well, time. The French government have wanted to pick off the city for a long, long time that predates the whole Brexit conversation. Yeah, I don't think there's been. I don't think they've been as successful in that process as they would have hoped. Um, I, I, just talking to bankers generally, I think, particularly American bankers, funnily enough, there does seem to still be this view that. The UK is going to definitely remain the centre of gravity in Europe when it comes to the financial centre. And if you are going to move stuff, it's not going to be moving a lot of stuff. Um, And that seems to be increasingly the narrative. And there seems to be this view in the city increasingly, we can cope with this. Um, It'll be interesting to see whether ultimate and, and the kind of the Trump narrative, I think, this weekend is going to be fascinating as well, as you've got kind of Trump and Boris Johnson in and this whole Brexit. And the, yeah, they do choose those locations, don't they? Fantastic. I love Beerus. It's lovely. I'm sure it's beautiful. I've never been. I'm sure That's they fantastic. love it too, which is probably I, why they've chosen that as a destination. Nice, nice, great surf. West coast of France is. is it is surfers paradise. I have heard. Yeah, absolutely amazing. I, the, I, this is the problem. The French have got everything. They've got they've got south of France, lovely. It's got the west coast with a bit of surf. Got the mountains. Got everything. Not a fan of the food though. Not a fan of the food? No, never have been. Uh, but you're Italian, so I would imagine that the yeah, Italian food find probably... It very, find it very pretentious and slightly pointless. Just as a bit of a, a heads up as people head off on holiday, I think the um, I think Ryanair won a pilot strike court ruling a little earlier. I think it's just lost one in the UK. So potentially Ryanair pilot strikes coming towards us. Let me just uh, double-check the details of that. Um, that's just flashing on my screen at the moment. A lot of people heading off on holiday. I suspect they will be interested in finding this out. Yeah, Ryanair loses a court bid to block a UK pilot strike. Another pilot strike. Fantastic. Um, that parade is finished. Boris Johnson's gone inside the Prime Minister alongside Chancellor Angela Merkel. And understand in, a, in around about 20 minutes' time, we should have a news conference with them both, which we'll try and bring to you right here on Bloomberg Radio. The other thing we've got to talk about, guys, that 30-year issue. Out of Germany today, bit of pushback, softer demand, technically uncovered, bit of a failure, um, but still a negative yield on a 30-year issue in the primary market. Remarkable stuff. I asked Stephen Major about this just a few minutes ago. He shrugged his shoulders in in the way that he does. Uh, Stephen Major from HSBC, global head of uh, fixed income strategy, and basically said, "Yeah, look at where it's trading in the uh, in the secondary market. I think yeah, a negative agree. 15." He said, "Somebody's probably pretty short of this." But he basically just said, who cares? Seen right. it in the primary primary market before with German auctions. You get a little bit of pushback. If you were really worried that this was evidence of people not liking what they were seeing in terms of price, I'd expect that to see that reflected in the secondary market in a more material way. You don't see it today. And I just think we have a price-insensitive buyer. The ECB can buy a third of any single issue. 
up to a third of any single issue. It doesn't matter where the price is. There's going to be a buyer for it. It could be the ECB. It might be the S&B. There's evidence that <laughs> Mr. Jordan's been busy intervening in the uh, in the market as well. The so. German bond market, yeah. That's like, basically to try and deal with the currency issue. Yeah. Um, again, Stephen, Stephen, not quite so convinced. It, weirdly, he, he, you kind of ask him about supply and demand. He's just like, yeah, I'm not sure this is all about demand and demand and supply. Um, he, I, he, he has a very sort of long term view of all of this, and he is firmly of the view, as you well know, that we still go low from here, like significantly low from here. The thing that really kind of was interesting, he talks about the kind of the rate of change over the last few weeks. He said the market, like so many people, are going to come back from holidays and find their portfolios so out of position because of the move that we've seen over the last kind of week, week and a half. He said I, the kind of the rate of change has been is what really is going to put a lot of people offside um, and they're really going to struggle to get back. He just doesn't see it. He doesn't see another kind of obvious entry point coming up anytime soon. Anyway, uh, we're going to carry on the conversation. I, it is a very, very light volume session, or it has been a very light volume session for European equities today. We're down kind of circa 40% in terms of the normal volumes that you would see. Anyway, we're going to carry on the market coverage. This is Bloomberg. This is The Cable. With Jonathan Farrow and Guy Johnson on Bloomberg Radio. Good evening, you're listening to The Cable. We are live on DAB Digital Radio in the London area and around the world on all of your Bloomberg devices. European equity markets higher today, but on very, very light volume. Uh, the CAC traded only on 60% of its normal volume, London on 80%. Uh, basically, a lot of people are away. I wouldn't read too much into the kind of signal-to-noise ratio today. Um, let's bring in Alistair McCaig, joining us now from Fern Wealth. I'm assuming he's in Zug, Switzerland. Um, Al, just to kind of walk us through your sense of kind of what has happened over the last 10 days Bond markets in particular have gone absolutely bananas. Yields have plummeted. Rates have up really quite. Uh, rates have come down really quite sharply. Prices have come up really quite sharply. I was just talking to uh, HSBC Stephen Major. He says a lot of people are going to be the wrong side on this one. Their portfolios are going to be out of position. Your thoughts on that? Yeah, evening, uh, Guy. Uh, look, we're, we're up to $16 trillion worth of um, securities in negative yields. Uh, you know, you've got a question where the sort of saturation point is. I know he thinks um, uh, that, that, that this can go uh, considerably further, but, um, uh, you know, uh, <laughs> I suppose to a certain extent you're also pointing out that we're 824 million euros worth uh, picked up nonetheless. I, we, we've, at Fernwealth, we've been pretty uh, pessimistic in the market for a long, long time and, and steered clear of it where, where at all possible. Um, I don't know that I'm feeling particularly encouraged about what's going to happen to it in the, in the imminent future. Um, and you're right, um, markets are still very thinly traded at the moment. And as much as, um, you know, we might have the ability to trade um, even with people out of the office considerably more easily these days, um, I think a few people might be a bit surprised to see exactly where net figures lie um, when they reappear. How much of a reassessment of market conditions we see on the aftermath, um, that'll be the interesting, interesting point, I think. There's an obsession at the moment in America from the administration that people are making up negative headlines and that we're driving ourselves into a recession. There are even people on the Fed worried about this humming a self-fulfilling prophecy. 
What do you think about that, Al? The idea that we can talk ourselves into a downturn? Well, markets can certainly talk themselves into actions. That is, you know, there's a long track record of that. Um, and, and I think that's certainly a possibility. Um, Yes, the U.S. landscape, you could say that there's more pessimism than is necessarily warranted, but it doesn't take you glancing too much further afield to say that there are a lot of other environments out there um, which which really are warranting having that conversation, the Germans particularly, um, and, it, and it is a, a considerably more worrying picture for the, for the European arena. Um, and uh, I, I think that you tend to get uh, markets tend to, dislike moving in any one direction for too long anyway and uh, you know with 10-year bull market uh, you, you kind of get the sense that that there's change for the for purely the sake of change if nothing else the u.s doesn't i u.s really doesn't feel like it's heading towards a recession anytime soon i you know, have to no. look at uh, you look at the numbers that are coming out from u.s retail uh, and i'm talking about the big names the smaller names are clearly suffering but nevertheless the u.s consumer seems to be in a really good place right now U.S. rates are coming down. The, even the long, kind of the long bonds coming down. The thirty years coming down. The amount of money that is going to be put into U.S. consumers' hands um, if they are refinancing is massive. They're going to go and spend it. The U.S. consumer basically accounts for kind of seventy percent of the U.S. economy, or seventy percent of the U.S. economy is hinged on the U.S. consumer. I, what, I, the Fed's in a really difficult position at the moment. The data do not necessarily support a reason to cut. No, no, you're right. And, and yeah, unemployment levels are low. Average hourly earnings have, have broadly been pretty supportive. You know, there's more cash going out there. Interest rates look imminently like they'll, they'll be lowered, um, whether it's in a staggered, sensitive phase or, or more aggressive move, as, as, as President Trump would like. Uh, yeah, for the U.S. picture looks fine. It's not the U.S. that, that particularly worries, I don't think. I was going to stick around. Um, apparently, the president has cancelled his trip to Denmark because of a nasty comment made by the country's prime minister, apparently describing the uh, the move to buy Greenland as absurd has upset the. She's president. not a seller. She's not a seller. She's not a seller. Definitely not. Definitely not a seller. Uh, more on that maybe in a moment. This is Bloomberg. This is the cable with Jonathan Farrow and Guy Johnson on Bloomberg Radio. This is The Cable, live across the capital on DAB Digital Radio. You are listening to Bloomberg Radio. The President of the United States just wrapping up some comments before he boards for another trip. I am the chosen one. Take on China. This coming on the same day that someone referred to him as the King of Israel. Um, Some interesting comments through the day. Proposing some tax cuts in the last 24 hours, one around capital gains, and now seemingly backing away from that. Hard to keep up with the administration at the moment because you get some pushback to certain tax cuts, and then the president himself says it's on the table, and he says 24 hours later that it's not. Um, Guy, hard to reconcile a couple of things going on with this administration at the moment because they say there is no reason to fear a recession. At the same time, they're talking about more fiscal stimulus and calling for the Fed to cut rates 100 basis points. 2020 is coming. The last thing the president needs is a recession. So any hint of recession, even if it's kind of not that serious, is clearly going to have an effect at this point in time. I've been reading a a bunch of reports suggesting that kind of behind closed doors, the president is considering another a number of options behind closed doors. The administration is clearly kind of worried about this talk. 
um, and as a result of which may decide to do something. I also read another report suggesting that any kind of executive order to push through tax cuts is going to be a tough thing to achieve. Uh, Apparently during the Bush administration during the 90s, the Treasury looked at this and decided actually probably not able to do it. So it may not be that easy for the president to actually deliver some sort of fiscal push to keep the economy on track sort of going into 2020 and going into November next year. Well, the Democrats certainly are going to support anything, aren't they? (laughs) Let's choose the economy going into 2020. The fact of the matter is the data looks okay. The economy looks okay. It looks decent, certainly relative to the rest of the world. Tomorrow we're going to get some PMIs out of Germany and manufacturing likely to have a 43 handle. That's ugly. We don't see any sign of that in America. The worry at the moment is that we're not returning to trend growth, that it goes somewhere a lot darker. We don't see any sign of that at the moment in America. And the bond market signals are certainly concerning many people as well. And the way the Fed has handled everything is of the utmost concern to, I know, many people in Wall Street and in the city. But on the whole, to address what's happening in the global economy, and I know we keep going back to this, you either back away from the trade story or we get some stimulus from our SWEN. It's not monetary policy. It needs to come from fiscal in Germany and across the Eurozone, or China needs to things up. And I'm not sure you get any of those last two things. China has taken a very incremental approach to supporting its economy. Germany, if they are going to unleash fiscal stimulus, it's not going to come until they get into a little bit more trouble. And I don't see any sign of the United States backing away from China completely as yet. No, I, I, I think all of those things are probably true. I think a lot of a lot of hats are being hung on this kind of fiscal narrative. I'm not even sure that the, the fiscal narrative, particularly in Europe, is going to get the economy as far as people hope that it will. Um, but there is a lot of talk now about the idea that maybe you see fiscal authorities and monetary authorities kind of working hand in hand to hit the inflation target that has been set. I also hear a lot more chat now about the idea that we are coming, we are in the latter days of inflation targeting as being a kind of central mantra of monetary policy does kind of feel as if as if that's the case. So I think it could take a long time to get to that point. Alison McCaig, what do you make of all of this? I, there's a lot of talk about fiscal policy in Europe. I, what does the view look like from Switzerland? Um, we're looking potentially at the ECB going big. You kind of wonder whether or not that's going to do anything. Jordan's going to have to do something in Switzerland as well. But you get the biggest reactions these days, not from kind of Ollie Wren saying, we're going to throw the kitchen sink at this one. You get the biggest reactions these days in the bond market from any German official even hinting at the possibility of fiscal policy. Yeah, I think, um, <clears throat> yes, you, you question whether what'll, what would be enough to get the Germans to really jump on board on that sort of thing. And. And, you know, this this 50 billion euros that's being touted about as a sort of recessionary, um, you know, buffer that they could uh, to look to uh, to put in to pump into the economy. Um, you sort of question what sort of benchmark levels and what barometers would need to be hit in order to get the Germans to actually action that. Again, when it comes to the ECB, you question what firepower they've got um, and, you know, how much of a, a sentiment shift is is you know, reinstigating quantitative easing, for argument's sake, actually going to have on 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 confidence levels and on on markets and more broadly the, the economic landscape. Um, and it, it, you you just get the sense that there's not quite enough there to to install confidence um, around. And 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 I think there's a lot of expectation that we're going to see a, almost a combined effort from central banks globally to to get things up and running again. 
there's just a big question mark over how exactly they're going to do it and what these tools are they're going to use. Bit more action in the room over in Berlin. A few flags hanging there, German flag, Union Jack as well. The press getting their cameras ready to fire them over in the direction of Chancellor Angela Merkel and Prime Minister Boris Johnson. Apologies for the choice of words there. Um, we wait that news conference guy, which should start momentarily. Going to be really interesting to monitor this, not just the body language and the obvious things, but just to get your head around what we will or won't get from the Chancellor and how Boris Johnson will respond. Well, let's find out. Uh, let's see if we can uh, hear what the German Chancellor is saying. Yes, you. A very warm welcome to you. Of course, we have uh, quite a lot on our plate today. Um, quite a busy schedule. There are a number of points on it. On the one hand, obviously, Britain's leaving the European Union. We have said repeatedly from the German perspective that we very much regret this step, but it is a fact. So what we now need to do is to shape uh, Britain leaving the European Union in such a way that we continue to have very close relations uh, between the United Kingdom and the European Union, um, but that we can also have uh, very close bilateral relations because these bilateral relations between Britain and Germany are very close indeed. They are characterized by a spirit of friendship, and I hope and pray that they will be re remaining so. In the future, we have a lot of points where we see um, eye to eye and also a lot of points where we need to work together. And from a German point of view, a negotiated um, Brexit is obviously something that we would very much welcome. But we have also said time and again that we we are also prepared for a no deal. So should this happen, um, this uh, will or can happen. We are prepared for it, but obviously we also think of uh, the uh, life of the many citizens of uh, British citizens living currently in member countries of the European Union. We also have to deal with the situation should Britain from one day to the next no longer be a member of the European Union but a third country. We would then try um, our utmost in the uh, period following that uh, to negotiate a free trade agreement. That at least is the offer of the European Union. But going beyond Brexit, we also have a number of other issues that we need to discuss because the world, as we know, is in turmoil. Uh, in only a sh few short days, we shall meet um, on the occasion of the G7 uh, summit in France. I am very much uh, also uh, looking forward to hearing uh, from the Prime Minister how uh, Britain assesses this new government, assesses the situation um, in with Iran, but also in Libya, with North Korea, um, and we shall also address uh, Hong Kong and other issues that uh, we consider to be challenges in the world of today and all of this in a spirit of friendship, in a spirit of trying to bring about an understanding and also in the spirit of shared values and also shared perspectives. So yet again, a very warm welcome to you, uh, Prime Minister dear Boris, uh, to Berlin. Much, uh, Chancellor Angela. Thank you so much for that amazing welcome that I've just had. I don't think I've had one like it in my, in my life. And uh, it's wonderful to be here in Berlin, in Germany, on uh, my first overseas trip as, as Prime Minister. And it was obvious, really, that we should come here to see you, uh, Angela, because uh, this is a relationship that is so important for the UK. There are so many areas in which we collaborate, in which we work powerfully together, whether it's 
standing up for the rules-based international system, standing up for democracy, for human rights, uh, for equalities of all kinds. Germany and the United Kingdom are shoulder to shoulder. We work together uh, to preserve our collective security, whether through NATO or other institutions. We work together in tackling uh, the challenges of the environment, climate change, the, the loss, the threats to our, our natural world. And as you rightly say, Angela, we will be talking about a wide range of subjects uh, tonight. We'll be discussing Russia, Iran, China, what's going on in Hong Kong, many other subjects, including, of course, as you say, the small matter of Brexit, uh, which we are fated to discuss. And I just want to be absolutely clear with all our German friends and with the German government that we in the UK want a deal. We seek a deal. And I believe that we can get one. We can do it. The Schaffendas, I think, is the, is the phrase. But clearly, <laughs> but clearly, we cannot, we cannot accept the current withdrawal agreement, arrangements that either divide the UK or lock us into the regulatory and trading arrangements of the EU, the legal order of the EU, without the UK having any say on those matters. So we do need that backstop removed. But if we can do that, then I'm absolutely certain that we can move forward together. And I want to make one crucial point, which is that we in the UK are absolutely dedicated to the protection of the rights of the 3.2 million EU nationals in our country who do so much, who contribute so much to our country, and of course, in particular, our German, uh, our German friends. So that's why I'm here tonight. Thank you very much for that uh, wonderful welcome, and I look forward to developing our friendship and our relationship. Thank you. Ben Wright from the BBC. A uh, question to the Prime Minister first, please. Uh, Mr Johnson, the EU says it will not renegotiate the withdrawal agreement under any circumstances. So are you prepared to compromise, or is this trip simply posturing before you blame the EU for a no-deal Brexit? Uh, and Chancellor Merkel, the withdrawal agreement was defeated in Parliament three times in Britain. It has been buried by Boris Johnson. Why won't you reopen it in the few weeks that are left? Or do you see the Brexit crisis now as the UK's problem to solve? Thank you. Well, uh, thanks very much, Ben. Yes, of course, I think the, there is ample scope to, to do a deal. And I've explained, I think, pretty clearly what needs to happen. We need to remove those elements of the, of the withdrawal agreement that simply don't work for, for the UK. I've spoken of the things that I think are sensible, the protections of the rights of uh, EU nationals, but the, the backstop, uh, that particular arrangement, which I, I do think has grave, grave defects for a democratic country, a sovereign democratic country like the UK, that plainly has to go. But once we get rid of it, if we can change it, then I think there is the, the real prospect of making uh, progress very rapidly indeed. So that, that's why I'm here. 
Of course, we follow uh, with great interest uh, the discussion currently going on in uh, the House of Commons, and we know that the backstop has been part and parcel of um, debate, um, has been at the very center of debate. In a way, it is um, a construct that has been created um, so as to address a situation that one sees coming when one doesn't find any kind of settlement on how to deal with the relationship between Northern Ireland and the Republic of on this that constitutes, if you like, an external border within the single market. So in a way, this is an expression of a problem we have not yet solved. Once we see we, and say this could be a possible outcome, this could be a possible arrangement, this backstop as a sort of placeholder is no longer necessary. Then we know how the future relationship between the European Union and the United Kingdom uh, will be shaped, particularly Northern Ireland, obviously, and uh, the member state, uh, the Irish Republic. So the backstop has always been a fallback position. If one is able to solve this conundrum, if one finds this solution, we say, we said we will probably find it in the next two years to come, but we can also maybe find it in the next 30 days to come. So then we are one step further um, in the right direction, and we have to obviously put our all into this. But that presupposes, allow me to say this, that we have absolute clarity on the future relationship of Britain and the European Union, how this is supposed to look like. And I think this clarity, in a way, has become clearer, if I may put it that way. So we have a lot to discuss tonight. Thank you. Thank you. Um, Frank Erdans from AP. Uh, Madam Chancellor, yesterday you spoke of these practical solutions for the Northern Irish uh, question. How could they look like um, for you or for your colleagues? And you've also said uh, within the next 30 days uh, this could be possible. How realistic is this? And Prime Minister... The European Union, in the case of a no-deal... Wouldn't you be going back to the very same leaders that you've just rebuffed with a much more difficult negotiating position? Do you see a prospect of a time-limited backstop as viable? Well, let me underline yet again, and that is something that I think has worked over the past few years quite well. The Commission is negotiating on behalf of the 27 member states, and we have, as 27, the, um, the aim uh, to have a uniform, consistent position vis-à-vis -vis Britain, and I think that's important also for the United Kingdom. Now, Britain also should tell us, um, in turn, what sort of ideas it has, um, because it is not the core uh, task of a German Chancellor to understand the relationship between Northern Ireland and the Republic of Ireland so well. I suppose you know much better all of the ramifications of the Good Friday Agreement and the um, sensitiveness, although I've learned a lot about this, that is connected to it. So we would like to hear first proposals uh, put on the table by Britain. Our aim is to preserve the integrity of the single market, and that is uh, obvious. If somebody wants to leave the single market, we must see to it that the integrity of the single market is ensured. We have shown imagination and creativity in the past as European Union. I think here, too, we can find ways and means. I think that needs to be our task. We know that the United Kingdom has said on the 31st of October, you wish to leave. We take this very seriously. And we start from the assumption that you will do this. So well, we will simply have to do it in fewer months than 12 months if there is to be an orderly uh, Brexit. 
Just stress on the point about the, the border in, in Northern Ireland. The, the United Kingdom will, under no circumstances, implement checks, uh, customs checks or any other type of checks at the border in, in Northern Ireland. I hope that is, that is absolutely clear. We think that there are ways of protecting the, the integrity of the EU uh, single market without uh, doing, having checks of, of that kind at the border. And that's clearly what we need to, to work on to, uh, to, to, uh, to secure. And on your question about the time limit, I, I'm, I'm not attracted to uh, a time limit. I think there are other flaws with the, with the backstop. I think what we need to do is, is remove it uh, whole and entire, remove the, the backstop, and then, and then work... As, as Chancellor Merkel says, as, uh, on the alternative arrangements. And uh, there are abundant uh, solutions which are uh, proffered, which have already been discussed. I don't think, to be fair, they've so far been very actively proposed in, over the last three years by the British government. And now is the moment, you rightly say, the onus is on us to produce uh, those solutions, those ideas, uh, to show how we can address the issue of the Northern Irish border, and that is what uh, we want to do. But I may say I'm very glad, uh, listening to you uh, tonight, uh, Angela, to, to, to hear that at least the conversations on that matter can now properly begin. And you've set a very bl a blistering timetable there of, of, of 30 days, if I understood you uh, correctly. I'm, I'm, I'm more than happy with that. Sam Coates, Sky News. Boris Johnson, Angela Merkel has just asked you whether you're going to put forward specific plans to solve the Northern Ireland question. Are you and can you spell them out for us now? Angela Merkel, Boris Johnson has made a cast-iron commitment that Britain will never restore any hard infrastructure or any of the facets of a hard border. Can you make the same promise today? Yeah, Sam, obviously, uh, we will, we do think that there are alternative arrangements that, uh, could readily be, uh, used to address the problem of frictionless trade at the Northern Irish, uh, border, and you'll have heard them before, whether it's trusted, uh, trader schemes or electronic pre-clearing, all that type of solution, and, and uh, more besides is what we will be, uh, wanting, uh, to discuss. And, and you'll, you'll have seen an excellent report, by the way, by, by Greg Hands and others, I think just in the last couple of days about, uh, the kind of alternative arrangements that could be contemplated. There are two statements. Both of them are correct. One statement is Britain wishes to leave the European Union. The other is the Good Friday Agreement needs to be preserved um, in letter and spirit. It needs to be respected. Not only Britain is saying that, but also um, the uh, member state of the European Union, the Republic of Ireland, that will continue to remain a member, um, has said so. And this is part and parcel of our European um, position. So we have to somehow try and align those positions, which at first glance is not so easy, but we need to do this so as to be able to say that we find a solution. Andreas Rinke from Reuters, both of you have shown um, a spirit of compromise, or a readiness at least to compromise. But the basic problem, uh, Chancellor, is, is it not, that you do not wish to change the withdrawal agreement and you, uh, Prime Minister, are not uh, satisfied with um, only sort of changing this agreement on the future relationship. Uh, so is that not the basic problem still unaddressed? Is it not only blame game, as the Federal President said today? And just uh, an additional question, uh, 
with a view to G7, uh, the U.S. president has just suggested to um, re-accept uh, Russia as a member. Are you both for this or against this? Well, we do not as yet have a solution. So your question obviously is a justified one, but it cannot be answered today. You will simply have to wait a little bit longer uh, whether we come up with a solution. I see possibilities uh, through, for example, shaping the future relationship in such a way to address this um, point in a sustainable manner and a firm manner, and the rest is work, hard work. On uh, the second question, uh, whether Russia should again participate um, in uh, the G7 meeting in 2014, there were good reasons for Russia being suspended. The Russian president uh, spent a visit, um, uh, in, in an official visit in France. Uh, there are this seems to be a slight movement as regards um, the uh, translation of the Minsk process into reality. If we were to um, come forward in the implementation, maybe the situation may change. But as is, as the situation is today, I would say there is not yet sufficient progress for saying the reasons we had in 2014 are obsolete. So this is why we, and that means Europe, but also France and Germany in particular, uh, will put our all into um, talking to the new president of Ukraine, Zelensky, and talking to Mr. Putin and try to make progress. And then we look at the progress and we can see whether we are already far enough. About the seeming impossibility of the, of the, of the negotiations, I, I've in, in my life watched a lot of European uh, negotiations and, and believe me, it looks at first as though it's, you know, irresistible force and immovable object and what in, in, in my experience happens is that people find a way through. And uh, I think that uh, if we approach this with sufficient patience and optimism, uh, as I say, uh, we can get this done. And uh, it's, in the, it's in the final furlong generally when the horses change places and uh, the, the, the winning deal appears. On, on, your, on your second uh, very good point about Russia and the G7, I'm aware, of course, of the, of the moves to to reintegrate Russia into the, the G7. And I just have to say that given what happened in Salisbury and Wiltshire, given the, the use of chemical weapons on, on British soil, given the continuing uh, instability, civil war, uh, the war in, in Ukraine, uh, given Russia's provocations, uh, not just in Ukraine but in many other places, I, I must say I am very much with uh, Chancellor Merkel in thinking that the case has yet to be made out for Russia to return uh, to the G7. I think that probably is yet another example, if I may say so, of an area where UK and Germany have a common position. Okay, thank you. Thank you very much. We need to go to work now. Thank you. That wraps up the news conference in Berlin, Germany, with the Chancellor Angela Merkel alongside the British Prime Minister Boris Johnson. And, Guy, the kind of news conference that I think we both expected, um, a Chancellor who's willing to carry on talking, I just think that it's his meeting with the Irish leader and French leader that's going to be rather more contentious. Yeah, I, Merkel's saying we don't have a solution to Brexit. She's trying to find alternative arrangements. Uh, Boris Johnson uh, talking about the fact that uh, we can come up with a solution for the Irish border. But as you say, that was a 
placeholder. Nothing really happened then. Um, I think we both knew exactly what we were going to see going into that. I think probably we knew exactly what was going to come out of it. I, I, I still don't... Boris Johnson talks about the final furlong, and that is the point at which the horses change positions. Angela Merkel just setting a 30-odd day sort of time frame to get this all done. I still struggle to see how there is a way around all of this. Um, I'm not sure that we're going to see anything coming out of the meeting with the uh, with the French president tomorrow that is going to provide a positive framework for that to happen. The French say a no-deal Brexit is becoming increasingly likely. That is now the central case. The markets, I think, are probably already there as well. How does Boris Johnson change the narrative? Does he want to change the narrative? I don't know. I think the biggest threat now to the UK uh, and to, to Sterling at the moment is a general election. That certainly seems to be the market's perspective. I think we're almost there with the hard Brexit. This is Bloomberg. This is The Cable with Jonathan Farrow and Guy Johnson on Bloomberg Radio. This is The Cable live across the capital on DAB Digital Radio. You are listening to Bloomberg Radio alongside Guy Johnson. I'm Jonathan Ferro. To get you up to speed on the price action, your Wednesday price action looks like this at the close. A big day of gains and no real reason for it. But I guess if you're long, you don't really care. The FTSE 100 up by more than 1% at the close on the equity benchmark in Frankfurt, Germany. The DAX firmer by 1.7%. Across the United States, firmer as well, up by 9 tenths of 1% there and thereabouts on the S&P 500. In the bond market today, treasuries look like this. Yields just a little bit higher at the front end by three basis points to 154. Unchanged on a 10-year maturity at 156. For Germany, a bond auction a little bit early today the epicenter for many of the headlines in the bond market today a softer bond auction softer demand weaker demand technically a failed auction really but a bit of pushback there at that auction yet yields up by nothing on a 30-year despite that pushback a negative yield on a 30-year of negative 15 basis points that 30-year issue in the primary market got away at negative 11 basis points. So that's the bond market for you. In the FX market, this is what we look like. The euro is unchanged on the session. Sterling, just a little bit weaker. It stays there, unmoved following that news. For its cable going into that down by around about a third of 1%. So we've wrapped up that meeting with Chancellor Angela Merkel and Boris Johnson, at least as far as the press conference goes. Later today, we get the FOMC minutes. That comes at 2 local at 5 hours, 7pm over in London. Tomorrow, the Federal Reserve conversation continues as the Kansas City Fed annual get-together for the whole FOMC begins in Jackson Hole, Wyoming. The title of that, Challenges for Monetary Policy, on to Friday, where we from the Federal Reserve Chair, Jay Powell, speaking in Jackson Hole for the first time since that contentious meeting back at the end of July. And in between that, coming up tomorrow, and I think this is the talking point for Nike I'm right here, right now, it's the economic data in Europe. It's the PMIs and this massive spread between what is going on with manufacturing and services. Going into tomorrow, the median estimate for a prelim reading for the month of August for manufacturing is 46.2. The median estimate for services, 53.0. How that spread reconciles really does hold the key to what the back half of this year looks like. The services side, even in Germany, is still the bigger part of the economy. And consumers generally are still being reasonably well supported. Germany's just got a tax cut today. 
uh, in the form of the fact that the solidarity tax, which has existed since the Berlin Wall came down, is going to be suspended for most citizens. But at some point, it does, as you say, have to manifest itself from manufacturing into the consumer. I think Germany's the most obvious place for that to happen, John. But you and I have been discussing as well. I, Germany is still a very rich country, a very rich country. It is. And it has very low unemployment. So you kind of wonder how much that employment situation would have to change. Germans have also got very used to not seeing big wage increases, so you wonder kind of whether or not there is, there's some kind of um, opportunity to sustain that and as a result of which maybe more people stay in employment. I think it's going to be a much more slow burn to make that happen from, the consu- from, from manufacturing uh, into the consumer. But if there was ever a place for a bit, it to be relevant, John, I think... I think it is in Germany. And I think the data tomorrow will probably speak to that. Germany has many, many problems right now. And kind of, it was interesting just kind of listening to the Chancellor and, and Boris Johnson talking, the British Prime Minister. Uh, Germany, the, the last thing Germany needs right now is a hard Brexit. That would certainly hurt. Uh, there are a number of things that Germany can do to, 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 to sort of help itself at the moment. Are we going to get a big consumer? Uh, are we going to get a big spend in Germany? Maybe, maybe not. We'll wait and see. But I, but I think you're right to point to, to that transi- transition from one to the other. I just don't think we're there yet. What do you think? Well, I don't think we're there yet either. And what I think is interesting about this, if we're not there yet in Germany, if we haven't seen that manufacturing recession really start to damage the labour market in a material way, what does that say about the United States where they're oh. less reliant on manufacturing and the consumer makes up so much more of the economy? If we're not seeing it bleed from manufacturing to services in Germany, shouldn't we feel a little bit more confident about what is happening with the US economy? The, the, the consumer in the States is in a fantastic position. Do you not think I, that they're getting a huge benefit Certainly from, see from, that in the numbers. From see a mortgage. Numbers. Yeah, the mortgage, the mortgage uh, refinancing story. If everybody took out a refinanced mortgage, I, I don't know how big the number would be, but I would imagine it would be a huge amount of money placed in aggregate into the consumer's pocket. And, and my experience of watching the US consumer is they're probably going to spend that. Um, so, so... Consumption is going to remain pretty pretty elevated. There is a bivocation in the U.S. retail scene at the moment. You can see that. But the big kind of the big box guys are doing really well right now. The Target numbers were fantastic today. The the Amazon numbers continue to be strong. The Walmart numbers continue to be strong. I, that side of things is is kicking along nicely. If the president is in any way freaked out that he's going to face a recession next year, he's going to juice the U.S. consumer. I, I, I can't see that bit of the that bit of the U.S. economy slowing down anytime soon, and it is the U.S. economy. So I, I don't see any particular change happening there anytime soon, uh, which is why I worry that maybe the Fed, or, or whether I think the market is over its skis when it comes to expectations of the Fed. Barclays looking for three cuts before the end of the year. Goldman yep. describing Two. the Fed's experience at the moment as um, a hall of mirrors, which I actually thought was quite good. I've given the confusion at the Fed, but yes, Guy, two cuts before the end of the year. Regardless of the situation, there is just a belief that the Fed goes again and then goes again and perhaps goes again before the year is out, which makes the Chairman Powell speech this Friday absolutely fascinating. Behind closed doors, no Q&A. I imagine that speech has been handed around within the FOMC just to make sure that we don't make the same mistake that Williams made before the blackout period. I just find it really interesting to see how he sets the stage and draws a distinction between 
a mid-cycle adjustment and an easing cycle without upsetting this market all over again? I, I think the chances of the market being upset on Friday are very high. Very high indeed. Expectations are so elevated in terms of expect, uh, of what the Fed is going to deliver. He is going to have to be so dovish to keep the market on board. And I just, I, I, I worry that the bar is too high going into that. We'll talk about that tomorrow. We'll digest the minutes. They're going to be coming out a little bit later on. And then there'll be plenty of coverage of Jackson Hole on Friday. This is Bloomberg. Good evening.